Isaiah chapter 9, we'll read the first seven verses. Nevertheless, that time of darkness and despair will not go on forever. The land of Zebulun and Naphtali will be humbled, but there will be a time in the future when Galilee of the Gentiles, which lies along the road that runs between the Jordan and the sea, will be filled with glory. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in a land of deep darkness, a light will shine. You will enlarge the nation of Israel, and its people will rejoice. They will rejoice before you as people rejoice at the harvest, and like warriors dividing the plunder. For you will break the yoke of their slavery and lift the heavy burden from their shoulders. You will break the oppressor's rod just as you did when you destroyed the army of Midian. The boots of the warrior and the uniform blood-stained by war will all be burned. They will be fuel for the fire. For a child is born to us, a son is given to us. The government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His government and its peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. And the passionate commitment of the Lord of Heaven's armies will make this happen. Let's pray. Lord, I love reading that. I love reading these names of you. Lord, I, I, I love hearing what you will do and what you, what you do, Lord. Lord, we praise you for your justice and we praise you for your peace. We, we praise you for your power, Lord, your, your everlasting we thank you for all of these things because it builds us up, Lord. It brings us peace. It brings us calm. It lets us enjoy the love that you have for us. Lord, I ask that you would uh, come with Pastor Doug today. Lord, that you would hold him up and you would embolden his voice. Lord, let us hear from you as he comes and speaks to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I had one old professor in school who reminded us as young musicians and as preacher boys, he would call us, to never make excuses when you get to the pulpit. For when you make excuses, then your congregation's ears will dull. I make no excuses, but I will tell you this, I'm not feeling well. Haven't been since my birthday. What a way to spend 68 years coughing your lungs out. But anyway, that's why I have not been around to greet you. You don't want what I have, though if you wish to get it, just talk to my wife and my daughter. They'll make sure to share with you. But this morning, I come before you in a weakened physical condition, but at the same time, I believe a strengthened spiritual condition. This particular passage this morning brings us to a complexity that I must share with you I don't know how fully to explain. How is it that at one stroke of a pen, the apostle 
or the prophet, excuse me, Isaiah writes, for unto us a child is born. And then he calls him mighty God. And then in the same breath he says, and a son will be given. And yet he says, you'll be known as wonderful counselor. How do you put those two things together? I, I, I come to you sensing in many ways as a little boy who showed up to one of Jesus' teaching sermons. And all he brought with him was two loaves and a few fish. Not realizing that what that young boy had is what God could use. And if it was up to me, I have a little lunch to bring, but I trust that the Holy Spirit will feed you well. And so with that, I invite you to turn back to Isaiah chapter 9. We will focus on our third, if you will, word that is explained that, that he shall be called. The names of Christ. Our next word is kind of phrase is interesting because it deals with an issue that will face us throughout this particular presentation. And the issue is do you believe? Do you believe? Isaiah writes that his name will be called the everlasting. Father. Now, before you get your theology all tied up in a bow, let me, ref let me at least help you to understand of what this particular context is. But let's deal with what this term is not referring to. It is not referring to the first person of the triune Godhead. You'll notice that this particular uh, term is not in reference to mean that Jesus Christ is the Father. That's not at all what it means. He's not the Father of the Godhead. We understand. You can go to the next one, Miss Di. Apparently, electronic. There it is. Good. Thank you. The term is not in reference to mean that Jesus Christ is the Father of the Godhead. No, He's not. Jesus Christ, we know from the, from the passage, is this. Is that we serve a triune Godhead composed of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And in that particular Godhead, the Father is referred to as the Father, not Jesus. So we find ourselves in a conundrum as Warren Wiersbe said, Everlasting Father does not suggest that the Son is also the Father, for each person of the Godhead is distinct. And we saw that when we were in, first, when we were in John chapter 14, that Jesus referenced both the Father and Holy Spirit, as well as speaking of Himself. Now, what, the, what is the issue is, is that there are individuals, there are individuals in our, even in our present day society, uh, 
that look at that verse and say, well, Jesus then is the name of God. I remember a time of when having a close friend, an older gentleman, who took it upon himself to instruct me, to, if you will, uh, disciple me. And he literally believed that there was no such thing as the triune Godhead. For he said, this verse proves that Jesus is the Father. It was at that point that we had good theological discussions. He lost, I won. Because if that being the case, then why would Jesus even consider praying to the Father being on the earth? If that's the case, then why would Jesus even point people to the Father? Remember when Jesus taught the disciples to pray, both in the book of Matthew chapter 6 and also in Luke chapter 11, he said, when you pray, pray like this, our Father who is in heaven. And so this particular phrase is not in reference to Jesus being Father of the Triune Godhead. But it does make reference, if you will, what the term everlasting Father means is I want to look at three major points this morning. The first one is divided into what is called the word everlasting. The word everlasting. No language can forcibly convey to our minds the eternity of our Lord Jesus Christ. How can it be that the apostle or the prophet Isaiah would say, for unto us a child is born if Jesus Christ is eternal? How could he even begin to equate or, 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 or bring to our minds that a son will be given if he's eternal? How do we equate the two? How is it that we come to even completely understand what eternality means? And when you grasp that, please come and sit with me in my office and give me your information because I come to you again with a lunch that is not fully packed. How do you even begin to understand eternity? Always was always will be. How is it that we as finite minds can even begin to understand our Savior? So what we need to do is we need to go to the Scriptures and see what the Scriptures have to say. Turn with me, please, to John chapter 1 and verse 1. You're going to get a biblical exercise this morning. Your fingers are becoming stronger as you turn to these passages. John chapter 1 and verse 1. For it says in that passage, in the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. In the, be in the beginning of what? Was there a beginning to even God Himself? No. In reference to, if you want to take time this morning or later on in the day as you watch the snowfall getting ready to come back tonight for the children's musical, 
Go back to the book of Genesis. And what does it begin with? In the beginning. Then you can go to 1 John chapter 1. And there again, you will again see this word, this phrase, in the beginning. That which was from the beginning. So he's not talking about the beginning of eternity. He's not even talking about the instance, if you will, of a starting. He's talking about that when God intercepted time to reveal Himself even in creation. For you continue on in 1 John chapter 1 and you see that all things were made by Him for without Him was not anything made that was made. Jesus Christ is eternal. Eternality. Now, keep your finger here in John, but go back to Exodus chapter 3 and verse 14. Exodus 3 and verse 14. Moses is stopped by God. Moses is intrigued by a bush that is not consumed by fire. And he has to find out what it is. There's a teaching lesson in there that if I had the time, and I'm going to take the time to tell you that God will always provide a way for those who are interested in finding out who He is. He will provide a way for you to find out. Moses went to this bush that was not consumed. And what was it that God said in that bush? He said, I am that I am. That is my name. It's translated in the Hebrew, Yahweh. It's the holy name of God. Yahweh. I am that I am. You got your finger in John? Just go back a few pages. John chapter 8 and in verse 58. John 8 and verse 58. Jesus uses the same phrase. He uses the same identification in John 8 and verse 58. For it is there that Jesus even equates Himself with, I am. I am. It enraged those religious leaders so much that they wanted to stone him. And for, for those of you that have heard individuals say that Jesus never, never calls himself God, all you got to do is take him to the text and prove that he did. He is eternal. Not only that, now go back to well, we already did Genesis 1 and, Gen and then John 1 and verse 3. For without Him was not anything made that is made. The eternality of the Messiah. Now when you begin to slightly grasp that thought, you come to realize that our Savior always was, always is, and always will be. He didn't just show up on Christmas Day. He already was many eons before that. 
when time was not even mentioned in the Scriptures. Because up to Genesis chapter 1, there was no such thing as a day. It was there that God instituted in the declaration and the creation of the day. Prior to that, there was no time. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were always, were, is, and shall be. Our mind can quickly go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 1, where He is declared the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. The One who was and is and is to come. The eternality of our Messiah. And I'm here to tell you this morning that eternity did not bring Christ forth from its mighty bowels, but, did draw, but, brought forth, but He brought forth eternity. Independent, self-sustained, uncreated, eternal existence is with Jesus our Lord and our God. He is eternal. The second word that we take from this phrase is Father. Father. The word Father. The word Father in Hebrew has several meanings. Such as this. Ancestor. Author or founder. And advisor. Of course, it also refers to a man who has a child, father. But in the course of Isaiah writing that, the term father is in reference to the Messiah as the one who is the author, creator, the originator of everlasting. When Jesus Christ walked this earth, even in the dust of his feet, he proclaimed that whosoever believeth in me will not perish but have everlasting life. He is the originator. He is the father of. He is the author of. He is the creator of everlasting life. He's the father. But it goes a step further too. Because as the everlasting Father, the one who created everlasting life, He also is our Father in the sense that He is the author of our salvation. Him dying upon the cross, Him rising from the tomb, sealed, if you will, as it is told to us in the Scriptures, that He has taken captive death. He's the one who holds the keys of death and hell. Snatched them from our enemy. He is the one upon which now we, as His children, which we are called by the Apostle Paul, we are the children of God, 
Jesus Christ is the originator, the author. Now that don't let that confuse you too much because oftentimes we use that word father even in our own context of history. We say that George Washington is the father of our nation. He didn't bear, he's not my daddy, but he's the author, he's the originator. We have Isaac Newton, who was called the father of, if you will, uh, gravity. Well, an apple hit him in the head and no one knew about it, but he did. He's the author of our, but then we have an enemy who's the author of lies. He's the father of lies. So that term does not necessarily mean what we think it means in the Hebrew. But when you go to the book of Romans chapter 5, you will find that there are two fathers. You have Adam, who is, quite frankly, the father of all that there is that walk on this earth. All of human life came from him and from Eve. And, and the Apostle Paul describes him as if that's your father, then you're still lost in your sin. But then he says, but there is a greater one. His name is Jesus. He is the father of everlasting life. And if you are in him, you are found for all eternity. Father, thank you, Jesus, for being our, the author of salvation. Thank you for your willingness to be the one that initiates everlasting life. Which, by the way, dear people, there is no other way. There is no other life. And this morning, if, if you would claim Adam as your father, then please, I beg with you, you are still lost in your sin. And you need to come to Jesus, who is the author of our salvation, everlasting life. And it's done simply by our first slide. Do you believe? Do you believe? Now, when we take these two phrases, everlasting and Father, and we put them together, we find ourselves in a conundrum because the Bible teaches that there are three types of beings. The first is this, one that has a beginning and end, animals and other creatures, animals and other creatures. And the reason being is because they are not created in the image of God, animals and other creatures. I'm going to let you in, Disney has got it wrong <laughs> in many ways. All dogs don't go to heaven. In fact, no dogs go to heaven. None. Cats too. Animals have a beginning and they have an end. Then the second being is this, is those that have a, has, has a beginning but has no end. Angels and mankind. 
You all had to have a beginning. You all were born, physically born. You wouldn't be sitting here if you weren't. Angels were the same way. They weren't always there. God created them. But they don't have an end. And guess what? We don't have an end either. Mankind does not have an end. You have a ending. But you have no end. And there are two choices that you can make. You can make a choice and remain as Adam as your father. And the Scriptures tells us that your ending is eternal fire. Or you can trust in Jesus Christ. And the Scriptures tells us you have everlasting life. The choice is yours. And then the third being is this. One that has no beginning and no end. Guess who that is? God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. When you put those two phrases, everlasting Father, together, you, like the prophet Isaiah, is declaring that our God always was, always will be, and never end. Never end. <coughs> Comprehend a million years. And then try in your best to say that's day one of heaven. Try, if you will, 10 billion years. And you haven't got past lunchtime in heaven. Try, if you can, to determine 10 trillion years. And you haven't even made supper yet in heaven. It's eternal, everlasting. And the great thing about it is our Father, Jesus, the author of our salvation, is going to be there. In a greater sense, if we will, we can take this particular phrase and retranslate it and not adulterate the text at all by just saying this. He's the eternal life giver. The eternal life giver. Everlasting Father, the eternal life giver. The system of salvation claims Jesus Christ to be its Father. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 and 10. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus under good works, which God has determined that we should walk in them. When you come to John chapter 3 and verse 16, let's all recite it together in the good old King James Version, shall we? For, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And then when you come to 1 John 5, 
11 through 13, it says, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. He who has not the Son of God has not life. These things I've written unto you that believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know you have eternal life and continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. And lest we forget John chapter 1 and verse 4, for in Him is life, which is the light of men. He is the eternal life giver. And once separated from life due to sin, eternal life has now been provided by the notorious work of Jesus Christ and His life is gained through believing in Him. No greater joy. So where does that leave us? It takes us to our application which is this first Jesus unending love for us should be an ever present reminder that he will watch over us both now and forever as an enduring father Jesus Christ would never leave you he will never forsake He will never toss you to the side of the road. He will will never let you fall. No one can take you from His hand. Nothing in this world can take you from His protection. Nothing. But secondly, it's this. I ask you, is the everlasting Father is Jesus Christ, your everlasting Father. In a time of when Israel was in a turmoil, the top ten tribes have already been taken captive by Assyria. And the bottom two tribes are being warned that the same will happen to you if you don't repent. It's a dark time. But as Pastor Steve read for us, in the darkness is when the people saw a great light. And he talks about the coming Messiah. How one day, all that is wrong will be made right. Oh, dear people, There are times when I feel we're in the same situation. That, oh, it may look dark. But in the darkness, people can see a great light. And the only hope is our everlasting Father, the Messiah, the eternal life giver that Isaiah spoke of. It is with that that even this morning, as we can rejoice together, that we can come and celebrate all that Jesus Christ has done for us. 
the scriptures tells us that Jesus, when he was in the upper room with his disciples, he took the bread and he began to teach them a totally different understanding of that which they once thought they knew. He took the old and he began to illustrate the new. For he compared the bread that they were about to have as it was broken for them. As Jesus Christ would literally give up his life physically for them that they may live. And as Jesus took that, he said to his disciples, this bread is my body which is broken for you. Take this, eat this, and do this in remembrance of me. Our eternal life giver wants us to remember. Let's take that little wafer. If you can wrestle it from underneath that pure thing, then go ahead. It's, it's right here. I cheated. I opened mine early. But together, this is not the body of Christ. This is a representation of his body. So let's partake of it and rejoice in what he has done for us. Let us partake. Lord Jesus, thank you for your willingness to come and walk amongst men, to physically understand and know all that we face. You knew what it was to be hungry, to be thirsty. You understand pain, loneliness. You understand when individuals turn their back on you. All of those things happen to us, and yet your word tells us, the writer of Hebrews says, in all ways you were tempted like we, yet without sin. The perfect, sinless, eternal life giver. Thank you, Jesus. And we praise you. Then when it came to the time of the last cup of what was known as the Last Supper, Jesus took that cup and He changed its meaning. For He said, now this cup is the new covenant in My blood. And again, He's talked to Ben about a different understanding of that when he was sharing the fact that he is going to shed his blood for the remission of sin. The writer of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. Jesus Christ says, I am going to empty myself completely, even of my life blood, that you may live. And he told his disciples, take, drink of it, for in all as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you show the Lord's death till He comes. So let us take of this last issue.
of this juice. It is not the blood of Christ. It represents His blood shed for us. And He invites us in remembrance of Him and all that He has done for us. Let us partake together, shall we? Your blood, O Lord, every last drop that flowed from your body we can proclaim is the satisfaction of God the Father for the payment for our sin. I know, Lord, this morning we've rushed through quickly, but I trust the Lord God effectively to understand that our eternal life giver, our Messiah, not only was born physically, but He reigns eternally. And we thank You that this day we could remember that. Remember to the fullest of our ability that we can even begin to comprehend but at the same time, anticipate when there'll be a day when we will partake of that, even in your presence. And until that day, O oh God, may we be found faithful in ministering of the gospel, not just speaking it with our lips, but living it with our lives. May we be, O oh God, as Isaiah would say, Individuals who bear light, that those who walk in darkness will be able to see it. So to you be the honor and the glory and the power, both now and forevermore. And I ask these things in our Savior's name, Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen. Let's stand, please, for the benediction. <coughs> may the grace and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ rest upon all that are here this day and though we may leave through doors I pray and ask that through God's grace and mercy we'll walk worthy of the King for He is worthy, our eternal life giver. Worship Him, praise Him, serve Him. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.